Well, good morning again. If you ever doubt the power of story, just stop and think of what Jesus accomplished with a simple parable about three stewards. A man went away on a journey. Before he went, he called three of his stewards, three of his servants, and they were called stewards at the time. And he entrusted each of them with resources and said, I'm going to be gone for a time. When I come back, I'm going to hold you accountable for how you worked with, how you multiplied my resources, because that's what stewardship is all about. It's about taking the resources that God has entrusted to us and using them for his glory. Now, we're going to be talking about stewardship. We have been talking about stewardship. Last week, Ryan talked to us about stewarding our spiritual gifts. Next week, we'll talk about stewarding our time, one of our most valuable resources. We'll talk about stewarding our ethics the week after that. And we'll talk about the joy of stewardship. And we'll talk about stewarding our whole life. And then, in transitioning to Advent season, we will talk about Jesus, God's ultimate steward. Stewardship matters. Stewardship is crucial. Stewardship is a part of our life. And this morning, we look at the stewarding of our finances, the stewarding of our money. And, and we don't talk about this from Jesus' teaching, although it was crucial in Jesus' teaching. I remember the story of the widow who threw her penny into the offering plate. And Jesus said to, the, to those standing around, this woman who gave her last penny has given more than anyone else. The principle of not how much you give, but how much you have left. The principle of not what you give, but why you give, and how you give, and giving out of the heart. Jesus spent a great deal of his time, his teaching ministry, talking about money, and talking about our use of the financial resources he's placed in our hands to honor God, and to build his ministry, and to build his church. But we don't look at Jesus this morning. I want to look at Paul's theology of giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, Harry Wilson asked me before, you're going to preach on those whole two chapters? Uh, yeah, but not in detail. So Harry, I noticed he moved to the back so he could get out just in case. So, uh, but as we look at this, this uh, idea of, of, of stewarding our money, stewarding our financial resources, it's a crucial, crucial topic. And uh, it's the most common way we think when we hear the word stewardship in church. We think, oh, they're after my money. Yeah. <laughs> we are very perceptive. But that's not all. To reduce stewardship to giving money is to misunderstand stewardship. Uh, the, 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 we can give without stewardship, but you cannot have stewardship without giving. A lot of us give without thinking stewardship. You know, they, we see the box in the back or somebody corners us or some reason we feel 
some desire. We don't often even think of this is my responsibility. This is how I honor God. This is how I obey God. That my financial resources, my time, my talent, everything I am, everything I have belongs to him. He's only loaned it to me. He has entrusted it to me for a time to use to honor him. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Let me give you a little bit of background of this because you're going to hear the word Macedonia and some of these terms. So let me help you understand what Paul was doing with this. Paul had been living in Ephesus and he heard about the church in Jerusalem that was going through very difficult times. They were being persecuted. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. They were losing everything. And on top of that, there was a famine. So Paul said, as one of God's representatives, as I travel around to these Gentile churches, I'm going to raise some money to take back to help these poor people in Jerusalem survive. So after he left Ephesus, he went north up to a, a, a province in Greece called uh, Macedonia. In the northern part of the Grecian uh, country, there was this uh, province called Macedonia. And there were three churches there that Paul was visiting while he was in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. You've heard those names. So as Paul was up there in those three churches, he was raising money for the poor church in Jerusalem. He knew next he was going to go south down to the province of Achaia, where the city of Corinth was. Okay? And he knew when he went there, he was going to, again, take up an offering to help these people in Jerusalem who were struggling. So before he went down there, before he traveled south to Achaia, to Corinth, he sent one of his ministers, one of his helpers, a guy named Titus, there with a letter. The letter we know of as 2 Corinthians. And in that letter, among other things that Paul addressed, he told them that he was coming and he was going to be taking an offering for the people in Jerusalem. But he said, I want you to understand what I'm, what I'm all about. I want you to understand what this concept of giving is. I don't want you to think I'm just coming there to take money from you to give to someone else. I want you to understand from God's perspective why Christian leaders talk about money. Because it's a crucial, crucial part of life. And so Paul, he actually gave seven principles of giving. I'm not going to do all seven. I'm going to do three of them this morning. But I would invite you to read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 because this is a crucial part of life. The first thing we see in reading these two chapters is that, that God presents giving. Paul presented giving as God's spokesperson. Here's God's spokesman. God presents giving as an act of grace. In these two chapters, 39 verses, these two chapters, Paul mentions the word grace 10 times. And he wove the theme of grace and the theme of giving, these two concepts, into a beautiful tapestry that raises what you do and what I do when I write a check to the church or write a check to the mission. It raises it to a whole new level, a level of beauty, a level of honor, a level of privilege that when I sign that check or I drop that $100 bill in the offering box. I am expressing a deep part 
of who I am as a Christian. I am a steward. I am a responsible representative of the living God. I am one who is taking the resources of time and talent and money that he has placed in my hands, and I'm saying to God, I graciously honor you as I write this check. Anything less than that, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is a terrible misrepresentation of what it means to give. What is grace? Or at its base, grace is just an idea of overwhelming generosity. When, when we read the word grace, it talks about this, this, this heartfelt, this exalted sense of giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giving God. God is a God of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself. You didn't earn it. It's a gift of God. By grace, God gifted us this beautiful thing of eternal life. And then Paul said here in Ephesians about this business of grace, the main thrust of grace is overwhelming generosity, a passion to give something elegant to another person. And so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that the, the, the saints in Macedonia, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, for the grace, the charis, the grace of sharing in this service of giving to the Lord's people. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Titus is going to come and he's going to invite you to participate in this wonderful, beautiful gift of the graciousness of giving, of giving. So don't think of giving as just, well, I got to do it. No, what a privilege, what an honor to partake, to participate with God. My friend uh, Ken Boa sends out this thing called Reflections Every Month. Delightful guy, Ken is. And, and, and he, he wrote this uh, thing uh, in, in the October. I just got this yesterday, and I'm here I'm preaching on stewardship today, and he said, Dear Lord, through my new birth and my identity in your son, I now have an entirely different orientation in life. I have become a steward. And I no longer manage my possessions, but I manage yours. I'm going to call Ken and thank him for this. Very timely. That I, I don't manage my time. It's not my time. It's his time. I don't manage my spiritual gifts, my talents. They're not mine. They're his. He's lent them to me to use in his service. I don't manage my money. I manage his money. He has placed it in my care. And what an awesome overwhelming responsibility to say, Lord, how do I use this time? How do I use this talent? How do I use these dollars that you've given me? What should I do with this? I am a man under enormous responsibility. I am your steward. And I do it graciously. Lord, what you've taught me in your scriptures, what you've modeled for me 
in your own life is the thrill, the gift, the privilege of giving, of giving my time, giving my talent. My talent? My time? No, no. <laughs> giving back to God in a responsible manner the time he has lent me and the talent he has lent me and the money he has lent me to use in his thing. So Paul, this whole idea of giving, it's generous, generous grace giving. And the first principle we discover here in chapter 8 is that living, that giving is an act of sincere love. And he says, giving is a spiritual virtue. Listen to what he wrote here. Paul said, and now, brothers and sisters, he's writing to the Corinthian believers, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The generosity. They earned. They urge, do we hear a whistle? Is that just me up here? Okay, I thought I was hearing some feet. No, okay. Yoo-hoo. <laughs> Shouldn't have had that margarita for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to the Bible here. In the midst of a very severe trial and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, the grace of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Because they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, to this project. God wants us first. You see, giving is just an indication of how much of us God owns. And these people in Macedonia, they were going through the ringer. Persecution, poverty. Paul said to the Corinthians, here's a great model of giving. Out of their poverty, out of their suffering, they begged us to take their money. Beautiful picture. And then he gave a second illustration, not only of the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty, but of verse 8. He used Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So you have the Macedonians who are broke, begging to take, let us help. Let us be part of this, out of our poverty. And then at the complete, infinite other extreme, you have the immeasurable wealth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to go down there and become one of them. I'm going to graciously save them from their sin. Though he was rich, 
Yet for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Fabulous illustration. Whether you have a lot or a little, the joy of giving. So giving is a spiritual virtue. Giving just because of the power and the presence of God in me. It's the kind of person I am, Paul is saying, is the first principle of giving. Second, give is an expression of your Christian ministry. It's giving as spiritual gift. He says in verse 6 of chapter 8, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring forth also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, this gift of giving. Uh, in, in Romans 12, 8, Paul is listing the spiritual gifts, and he says, if your gift is giving, do it generously. Do it overwhelmingly. He says in verse 12, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So if God has gifted you with great wealth, God expects great wealth to come from you. If God has graced you with a life of not so much, all he's saying is give proportionately. God does not look at how much you give. He looks at how much you have left. He looks at your heart. He looks at the spirit of the giving. Third, give as a steward of your generous master. Giving as spiritual stewardship. This shifts from tithe to generous or proportional giving. The tithe is still a good idea, but don't, don't limit yourself there. Don't short-circuit yourself by only giving 10%. This whole principle, let me read it for you. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This whole concept is, 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 is giving intelligently, giving thoughtfully, giving intentionally what your heart has determined to give. Not when the plate goes by, oh, you know what, I've got to throw 20 in there because I don't have a five. (laughs) No. Plan it. Think about it. Do it intentionally. Invest. Don't give. Invest. Think. As I'm giving this money to this church or to this mission. I'm investing in God's work through that ministry. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. (laughs) Good night. Now, he who supplies seed to the sore and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of food, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in praise to God. Whew, 
Yeah. So you can't outgive God. And, and this idea of God supplying. Now, I hear some TV evangelist hucksters terribly misusing this, saying, you send me your money, your seed money, God will make you rich like me. No, he won't. No, he won't. You see, the principle here is not in, but through. Whether it's your gifts, your time, your money. God says, I will give it to you so that you can flow it out to others. And the more you give, the more I will give you to give. Somebody once said that when it comes to God's grace, we are pipes, not tanks. It's supposed to flow through it. I said, well, that's kind of, kind of right. But I don't think of myself as a pipe. I'm more like a tree. Your water flows through a pipe, it just flows in and flows out. Water goes through a tree, and it changes the tree. It helps the tree become a better tree. It helps the tree grow. And, and what Paul, this principle here in this passage, Paul is saying is, as God funnels these resources through you, you become a better person. But don't think that because God gave you a gift, he gave it to you for your ego. He gave it to you as a flow-through. You've heard the thing, input, output, throughput. <laughs> that God puts in so that through us it goes out. And he's saying you can't possibly outgive. You ever heard the story of R.G. Letourneau? He was a guy, a young man, made earth-moving machinery. And he said, God is going to be my partner. This is when he's a young man, deeply in debt. And he said, I'm going to make God my partner. And here's how that partnership is going to work. I'm going to tithe 10% to me, 90% to God. And that was the way he lived his life. During World War II, he had the contracts for the earth-moving machinery. When the, international, the, uh, the national highway system was built. Most of the big earth-moving machinery was Letourneau's machinery. God said, you honor me, I will honor you. R.G. Letourneau was a fabulously wealthy man, living on 10% of what God gave him to invest in his work. The other 90% went to missions, to churches, Throughput, like trees. And fourth, giving in a manner that brings praise to God, giving as spiritual worship. Paul wrote, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with every, everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. People will thank God 
because of your generosity. We thank God for your generosity. The leaders of this church, the elders, deacons, staff, we thank God for your generosity. You want to have people praying for you? Give to their ministry. You give big, they'll say, oh, please don't let this guy die. I mean, he gives us so much money if he dies. So it's not a bad deal. But what he's saying is this, that people will worship God because of your generosity. Giving is an act of worship to God. So this whole idea of, of verse 15, the last thing Paul wrote in this, in this chapter, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, that's often misunderstood. We say, oh, yes, thank God for his indescribable gift. He's talking about Jesus. No, he's not. I mean, that may spill over. But thank God for the indescribable gift of being able to give. That's what this whole chapter, these whole two chapters are about. And he closed it off by saying, let's thank God that he includes us in this wonderful privilege. He began the chapter 8 with the word grace. And he ended chapter 9 with the word grace. The privilege, the joy of giving. If we only address stewardship as giving, we communicate a faulty message. It's whole life. It's not just your money, your time, your talent. Giving is a part of stewardship, but we can give with no thought of stewardship. Think of responsibility. When we give responsibly, invest, don't give. Third, giving is essential to stewardship, but it must never substitute for stewardship. Think all of your life belongs to God. And finally, you can give without stewardship. Not even thinking about it, just I give. Don't even think about stewardship. But you cannot think about stewardship without giving. Yeah. Let's just sing this instead of what we had planned. Let's just sing a response. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. Thank you, Tom. Um, there's a river with two seas. The Jordan River goes through the Sea of Galilee, and as it flows in there, it replenishes the Sea of Galilee. And there are fish abundant. That's where Jesus' disciples fished. Lots of fish. And then the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee and waters the land as it goes down into another sea called the Dead Sea. The difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is that the, Dead, the Sea of Galilee, the water flows in and it flows out. 
problem with the Dead Sea is the water flows in and goes no place. And there's a stench of death surrounding that lake. My friends, our life can be a Sea of Galilee that is full of energy and resources and grace. Or it can be a miserly, self-focused, dead sea. God said, I want you to stand before me. You will stand before me. But when you stand before me, I really want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know where that line comes from? It's twice in the Bible. Very close together. When the man came back from his trip and he called his stewards in, two of them had invested what he had entrusted to them and built his kingdom. And he said to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. What will Jesus say to me as his steward, who he entrusted time, talent, and money to? Father, may we hear, and may we rejoice, and may you rejoice with us as we hear you say, well done, good and faithful steward. You got it. Amen. Have a great week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.